Hi there, friends. This is Pastor Rivero from Liberty Baptist Church, and I'm excited to let you know that our church is now live streaming our services. So you can check it out on mylibertybaptist.org or on YouTube. Our services are at 11 a.m. on Sunday, 5 p.m. on Sunday, and 7 p.m. on Wednesday, all Eastern time. But in the meantime, enjoy this sermon podcast here from Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter number 12 this evening. We are not in Revelation by God's grace next Wednesday night. We will be back in the book of Revelation. I'm just itching to get back into Revelation, and, and we will get there next week by God's grace. But at the same time, I do want us to finish this thought that we had from Romans chapter number 12 last week, which I called a snapshot of sacrificial living. We realize that as believers, we are to live as living sacrifices. We have looked at that many times from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, specifically that you are to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But it's one thing to say that you are living as a living sacrifice. It's another thing to know that you are based upon what the Word of God has defined being a living sacrifice as. And so because of that, we called this message a snapshot of sacrificial living because, as I've mentioned to you before, it's such a wonderful thing that the Word of God brings a question or when the Word of God brings a proposition to us, that the Word of God also answers and defines those propositions and questions, that the Bible is not just a book of questions, the Bible is a book of answers, that God has revealed to us the answers to these pressing questions for our life. And so we started last week by looking at Romans chapter 12 and seeing that sacrificial living requires having a sober mind, that we are to be serious, that we are not to be impaired when we look at the Christian life. And although sobriety in the Christian life is not the same as sobriety or abstaining from alcohol, although I think the Bible makes it clear that a Christian ought to abstain from alcohol, but it's very deeper than that when it's talking about the sobriety of the mind, that we look at life the way that God wants us to look at it and not through the distorted lens of our flesh, not through the distorted lens of our pride, not through the distorted lens of our lustful desires, that we're to look at life the way God wants us to live. And really, you can't understand if you're living a sacrificial life without looking at life soberly, without looking at the Word of God seriously. And so we took some time last week to consider that. And that's on the back of your prayer bulletin, point number one. I've already filled it in for you for your convenience because I'm such a nice guy. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Secondly, got some money for you after church. All right. Good. Number two. Is that actually, is that recorded? Never mind. Okay. Uh, number two. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that will, that will not stand in the court of law. I just want to say that. Number two. Uh, we also realize that sacrificial living requires serving hands, that it's not just about talking about helping others, but that we are to help others. And then we looked at those gifts that God has given to the church that we are to be able to use. And we saw that we are to have unity in the church, yet there's not uniformity in the church. We saw that we are to be united, but we also recognize 
that we're different people and that God has gifted us differently and that has even given us different personalities and ways of looking at life. And as long as we look at life biblically, then we ought to be able to have a unity with each other that instead of saying, well, I wish everyone was like me, we say, well, I'm glad that not everyone's like me because a God, a creator God who looks at everything has determined that we ought to be a little different from one another so that we have different strengths and different weaknesses so that we can come together and pool our strengths together for the sake of God's church, for God's ministry, and most importantly, look at that. Well, what we're going to do is, with that review, go back and read all of Romans chapter number 12 again, and then we'll get into points number three and four of our message tonight. So let's review and refresh by starting back in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse number one, where it says, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There it is. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, there it is, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity." He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful of business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of a low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense, pay back no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, we've seen already from verse number three that sacrificial lives require sober minds. We saw through verses four to eight that sacrificial living requires serving hands. And number three, if you want to fill this in on the back of your prayer bulletin, we also find that sacrificial living requires a sincere heart. Sacrificial living requires a sincere heart, meaning this, our Christian life cannot be lip service. Our Christian life can't be about talking the talk without actually walking the walk. And of course, that should just be common sense. That should be something that as soon as I say it, 
everyone nods their head in agreement, that everyone says amen. Of course, that's the way that it is, and that's the way that it ought to be. But here's the problem. Every single one of us know this, but then putting it into practice is something completely different. That we can all agree academically with what it means to live the sacrificial life, but it's something else completely to actually be able to put it into practice day by day. And so we begin in verse number nine where it says, let love be without dissimulation. And we've talked about love already in this chapter. We've talked about not thinking too highly of ourselves and how that it fits in context with others. But that word dissimulation, certainly not a word that we would normally use today, but it simply means this, insincerity, meaning this, that when we're in church, we ought to sincerely love one another. That fake, as I said last week, fake phony baloney, that, that, that Christianity that says, hey, love you, love you, love you, where there's just not a whole lot of depth that's there or maybe no depth at all. But that when we say, I love you, when we say, uh, uh, brother, I, I, I love you in the Lord, that we have a real meaning behind that. And you say, well, there's some people that it's hard to love. That may be the case. And maybe it's you. Yep. That landed about as well as I thought it would. All right, uh, David, David. All right, uh, so that's uh, uh, not you specifically. I'm just looking for help. All right, uh, but uh, and having you on both sides means you can both rescue me at the same time. But uh, no, uh, no, there are people who are unlovable, and it might be you sometimes, and it might be me. I mean, listen, we're difficult people to get along with sometimes. Uh, I'm sure you're sweet as sugar. I know. Don't go outside; you might melt. So, uh, but uh, you know. Listen, we all have that within us, but we don't see it within ourselves. We usually see it in other people. We talked about that last week. We talked about the fact that we need to be careful of pulling that speck out of someone else's eye without pulling the beam out of our own eyes. So it says, make sure when we love one another that we love one another sincerely. Jesus Christ sincerely loved people. There was nothing phony about his love. There was nothing phony about the way he cared for people. Jesus Christ was a, a man of compassion. I know that he was God and man, 100% God and 100% man. But understand that in, uh, in his human form, he was full of love. And as God, he is love because he is the very embodiment of love. In fact, it was amazing to me. I, I love how words just kind of stick out at you when you read your Bible. We've talked about this before. But going through the book of Matthew just recently and into Mark, compassion compassion, compassion, that word always associated with Christ. And his compassion was for their spiritual needs. Sometimes his compassion was for their physical needs. He saw some that had illness and had compassion. He saw that the multitudes were faint because they hadn't eaten and had compassion. It wasn't just that he had compassion on the spiritual, although certainly that would have been the highest level because he knew what their need of salvation would be. But yet at the same time, he had compassion on their physical needs as well. And he had true compassion. We're to be people of compassion the same way. But then it says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And those seem like they're two different sides of the same coin, doesn't it? That is a statement that although there's two different phrases that are there, they really go together. It says, first of all, we're to abhor that which is evil. Now, we should know as Christians that if something's evil, we shouldn't have any part of it. If something's evil, we shouldn't like it. If something's evil, we shouldn't laugh at it. We shouldn't rejoice at it. We shouldn't allow it to be part of who we are, become part of our flesh or our DNA, if you will. And that word abhor means this. According to the 1828 Dictionary, it means this. To hate extremely or with contempt. To loathe, detest, or abominate. And so the Bible is telling us here that if we are to have a sincere heart, we have to not just say, oh, you know, I don't like the things that are sinful that, you know, Jesus Christ died for. You know, they're not my preference. They're not my favorite. It says this, abhor it. 
we don't want any part of it. We don't want it near us. We don't want to be around it. We don't want to get as close as we can. I don't want to touch it, but I'm going to get as close as I can to it, like sin some kind of game or like it's something that can be toyed with. The Bible makes clear uh, that you play with fire that you'll get burned. That's a proverb that is given to us in the Word of God. No, no, we have to abhor that which is evil. But then it says this, to cleave that which is good. Now, cleave is one of those funny words. It can mean the exact opposites, can it? You can cleave something and cut it in half. Or you can cleave something and they come together. But I think we would understand what's talking about cleave that to that which is good. It's giving us the opposite of the previous statement. It says to repel that which is evil. To I want no part of it, but when it comes to things that are good, get close to it. I want part of it. I, I want to be close to it. In fact, the Bible used that word cleave for the first time when it says a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And I'm not trying to be strange in how I say this, but understand this. When you think of the closeness that God brings between a husband and a wife, that one flesh relationship of which he has instituted, and the closeness that only really God can, can put together in the way that he does when it works the way that God has intended it to, uh, the Bible is saying this, that's the closeness that we should have with good. That's the intimacy, if you will. And again, I'm not trying to be weird about this, but I just want you to understand the closeness the Bible says we should have to that which is good, that we should be absolutely repelled and repulsed by something that's evil that will harm our life. But when there is something that's good and right and holy and just, Philippians 4, 8 comes to mind, that long list of things that we should want to have in our life. No, what do we do? We cleave to that. I want it close to me. That's part of living the sincere life, the sacrificial life with a sincere heart. But then beyond that, the next four verses show us that as Christians who live the sacrificial life, it must be real. It must be sincere. And it tells us how to carry it out. You know, and plenty want to exercise their spiritual gifts, but they don't want to model pure Christian living to their family and those in their sphere. I found this to be often the case that there are a lot of people that want to exercise those gifts in the previous verses. They get excited about prophesying. They get excited about edifying. And they get excited uh, about ministering. But they don't get as excited about the things that we're going to find in the next four verses. And the things that we find in the next four verses really will prove our sincerity or not. Because listen, and understand how I say this because they come across very strangely. But understand what I mean. Any fool can preach. Any fool can teach. You say, well, pastor, you're preaching right now. Right, I, I get that. I, again, understand where I'm going with this. Just because someone is able to preach or teach or minister doesn't necessarily mean they're sincere. You and I have both known folks in the past who maybe have gotten behind the pulpit, who maybe have gotten behind a lectern and have exercised these spiritual gifts, but yet it was found out over time there was a lack of sincerity behind the ministry that was there. So while it's, it, it's nice to get excited about these spiritual gifts, at the same time, these next verses are going to show us how to live sincerely and how to live rightly and to, could we put it this way, to prove the calling that God has put in our lives, that we're living out that calling. In fact, that's what Paul told Timothy to do, to be able to prove that calling that was in his life. And so I can't go over all of these to the specificity that I want to tonight, but I think we can get at least a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a taste of these verses. So look at verse number 10 where it says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. 
in honor, preferring one another. One commentator put it this way, we should see in this, as much as anything, a call to simple good manners among Christians. A call to simple good manners among Christians. And I've said this before, I, I may have even said this last week, that when we are around people of the world, although we get annoyed when the people of the world act the way that they do, they're acting as people of the world do. But shame on us if we bring that type of attitude or those types of ways of talking or acting within the church house, that we should love one another with a brotherly, sisterly love, that we should come in here and we ought to look different than the Elks Club. We ought to look different than the Lions Club. We ought to operate differently uh, than the, uh, the, the, the local social clubs do. And there ought to be a whole lot more love in here than there is in the local bar. No, no, we ought to be uh, uh, together here, loving one another with the bonds of love. What kind of love? Brotherly love, meaning this, that we are tied together through our bonds of salvation. We are literally family with one another through who? Jesus Christ. And we should love one another. There should be a general warmth that is among the people of God. And I've been in church when it doesn't work. I've been at church when people are upset at one another. When there isn't just that general uh, love that should be had for one another. And can I tell you, when people are in church talking about loving Jesus and they don't love each other, it's a pretty miserable thing. And by the way, when that happens, 1 John tells us that if we say we love him and then we don't love one another, there's a farce that's taking place. And so we have to be very careful. Well, they got on my nerves. So you're going to handle it like the world does? Well, you know, I, I, I don't like the cut of their jib. Well, we don't even know what a jib is, so what does it matter, all right? Uh, don't worry about his cut, all right? Get right with him, all right? Brotherly love is what we should have one for another. Well, you know, we'll just settle it uh, like men. No, why don't you settle it like men of God? That's what we do. That's what we do in the church house. It says preferring one another, meaning this, hey, you first. That's the way it should be in church. You first. Not me first. But you first. Well, you know, you're the one that should get recognized or you are the one that should have that seat or you're the one that should take that ministry or you are the one that should be, you know, that we are looking out one for another. And it's amazing. If we all prefer one another, guess what happens? Everyone's needs get met. If we all look out for each other, well, if I don't, well you know, you got to look out for number one. Well, that's a way to be pretty lonely in life. No, if we look out for one another and we do it as God says, then all of our needs end up getting met. No, that's the sincere love that we should have one for another. That's part of the sacrificial life. It's making sure you prefer other people, loving one another with brotherly love. And then it continues, verse number 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, of course, we can take not slothful in business as looking at just, well, your work. By the way, if you are in the workplace, you ought to be the hardest worker where you work as a Christian. If you're a believer and you are bound by a code of ethics that comes from the Word of God, you ought to be the hardest worker where you are, unless the other harder worker is another fellow believer. People should know that as believers, we're going to work hard. People should know as believers that we are going to do what we should do, that we're not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. That word fervent there in the Greek literally means boiling, that we're boiling in spirit. By the way, we should be passionate about the things of God. We should be passionate in our service to God, that this, this is not just something that we do, it's who we are. 
that it's not just about, well, you know, I'm coming to church. It's like, hey, did I just scare somebody on the line? All right, good. Uh, did I scare someone in here? All right. Uh, I actually kind of scared myself. Hey, we get to come to church tonight. We, we get to learn more about the Lord. We get to help people. We get to be a blessing to people that God's called us. I mean, who are we? We're nobodies. But yet He saved us and He called us and He gave us spiritual gifts that we get to exercise. And we ought to be excited about this. And, and, and I just mentioned, I believe it was last week, people get excited about some of the silliest things. But yet we should be fervent in our spirit. And that's not just about the things of God. That's in general. We should be fervent. We should be passionate serving the Lord. And of course, in service to the Lord most of all. That word fervent makes me think of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. At the end days, guess what's going to happen? This is all going to get burned up with a fervent heat. How hot is that? Fervent. So what do we need to be? Fervent in spirit. How hot? That hot. How hot? Remember Nebuchadnezzar says seven times. Put up that uh, furnace there. And I think seven times, meaning that it was a perfectly hot, that it was as hot as it possibly could be made. A and what happened? Well, we know that there were three that were cast in and four that were walking around. A and what should we be? We should be fervent. We should be that fervent. Fervent as the fire, uh, whether at the end times, or fervent in the fire in the boiler room there where Nebuchadnezzar threw those men in. But we should be fervent in our spirit, in our service to the Lord. But then it goes on in verse number 12. It says, rejoicing in hope. Uh, of patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. It says rejoicing in hope. And, and by the way, that hope isn't just, I, I hope so. It's not a hope so kind of hope, but in the we're rejoicing in the hope that we have in the future that we have with Christ. That and that's and that's what it talks about. That that faithful hope that we have that uh, He's going to come back. That we're going to meet Him. That we're rejoicing in hope. That that it, it's not pie in the sky type stuff, but it's like I know where I'm going. I know where I'm heading, and so I'm going to rejoice in the hope that I have. And it's this patient in tribulation. And I think this is another one that really can be defining, can't it? Because not many of us are patient through the difficulties that we deal with. And you know, you can tell a lot about a believer and about how real their faith is, not by how they do during the good times, but by how they respond to the bad times. A, a sailor is not made by calm seas. A sailor is made by learning how to navigate the roughest of seas. And for us as believers, listen, anyone can praise the Lord when life is going well. It's another thing to be patient in tribulation, to be patient in the difficulties that come in life. Well, how can I do that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked because the very next phrase is what? Continuing instant in prayer. You know, the only way we can be patient in tribulation, really the only way we can rejoice in hope is by being instant and continuing instant in prayer. That word instant there isn't necessarily the way we would always use instant today. It means this, earnest and diligent. Now, I would say there, is, there would be an instant nature to that. That means that we're always offering it, but we're diligent. We are uh, earnest in our prayers and that we are, are, are uh, offering these prayers uh, before the Lord. And then continuing uh, to verse number 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, part of a sincere life, part of a sincere heart and living that sacrificial life is that we help one another within the church, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Now, sometimes that could be by giving financial needs. Certainly we've done that here. By the way, we had a love offering for 
the iMon, well, I hope they're not watching. Uh, no, they, they've already received it, so it's okay. They, never mind, they've already received it. Uh, it we had a, a, a love offering for the Amundis a few weeks ago uh, for their needs. What is that? Distributing the needs of the saints. We've raised money for different people at different times when they've had health issues and medical bills and t things like that. You know what it is? Distributing to the needs of the saints. There have been people here who've been hungry that, that have needed a bag of groceries or two. You know what we've done? Distributed to the needs of the saints. Uh, that's what we're to do. Uh, so what do we do? We distribute to the needs of the saints, but then also we are given to hospitality. So there are times when we give to the needs of others and we bring it to them. And there are times when we bring those people to us and we show them hospitality. And as a church, do you know what we should do one for another to have hospitality, to invite each other into one another's homes and to have times. And this is not a social club. Understand this. The church is not your local social club. There are social clubs that are out there. But at the same time, there should be a social element to our church where we like to spend time with each other at least, that we like to be around one another. And I mentioned to you, I talked to a woman at the hospital on Saturday who, who told me, I, I, just, I just yearn for Christian friends. I just yearn for, for people that I can talk to who are believers. And she's not able to go to church right now. And we're hoping, Lord willing, when she gets out of the hospital, that we'll be able to help her with rides and to be able to come here and say, oh, pastor, it's another person who needs a ride or it's another person who has a need. Well, yes, that's what a church does. We see people who have needs and we do what we can to help them. And not everyone can help everyone all the time. We had two people who needed a ride tonight. We had one who lived in one direction and one who lived in a completely opposite direction. We couldn't help both of them tonight, but you know what we're going to do? As much as we are able, we're going to help everyone we can to be able to either come to church or meet their needs. Do you know why? Because that's what Christians are supposed to do, to be able to help one another. And so when I look at these things, it's very easy for us to say, oh, yes, Lord, I'll be a living sacrifice. But go through that list, go through those verses, and all of a sudden it separates things really quickly, doesn't it? because it helps us to understand if we're actually being the living sacrifice that we're supposed to be or not. And so with that being said, number four, we have this tonight as well. I also want you to see that sacrificial living requires a stooping back. Sacrificial living requires a stooping, S-T-O-O-P-I-N-G, back. You understand what it means to stoop? It means to lower yourself, to have a stooping back. Uh, you know, the Bible talks often about those who are stiff-necked, doesn't it? What does that mean? rigid, unmovable. And it's really not talking about the spine physically. It's actually talking about a spiritual condition of the heart, isn't it? That, that causes someone to bow up, if you will, before the Lord. Uh, I always remember when the girls were young and you would, we would try to correct them about something. And the first thing they would do, I mean, you could have said, attention, because that's basically what happened. Uh, what were they doing? They were getting stiff-necked. They were hardening a little bit. And thank the Lord that over time, you know, that's kind of a process that children go through and sometimes adults go through. And we try to work through that and help as best as we can. Uh, but, you know, we can do that spiritually as well. And, you know, one of the things that is an indicator of a living sacrifice is someone who has a stooped back. Someone who is willing to be a servant one to another and is not saying me first, but is saying you first. And really this is addressing what's already been mentioned at the beginning of the chapter and Paul is going to expound this in an even greater way than he did before. Uh, look at what it says in verse number 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Well, boy, that's contrary to what we see in life, isn't it? W what does that cause? What, what, is, what is needed for that? Humility. 
instead of bowing up at somebody. What, what do we do? Uh, we don't curse them. We, we bless them. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's very contrary to what the world says. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, sometimes I find that we don't rejoice with those who rejoice because we don't know why we didn't get blessed too. You ever see someone that got a blessing in their life and you don't rejoice with them because you said, yeah, but their bills got paid, but I have bills too. And then maybe you even feel a little guilty about it because you know I shouldn't feel that way. But yet somewhere in the twinge of your heart, you feel that I want to rejoice for them, but I can't. I remember when Bethany got her car a few years ago, it was given to her, it was given to her by for free. Um, and it was an amazing set of circumstances that was given to her. I remember someone said something to her along the lines of this. Well, why didn't I get a car? And it was kind of one of those things that was a joke, but it wasn't really a joke. You ever heard one of those or said one of those before? It's like, well, why didn't I? And, you know, here's this, you know, 17-year-old kid who received a car. Maybe someone who's an adult had a need of a car, you know, as an adult, you know, with a full-time job and bills and different things like that. And I say that not to be derogatory to that person. I say that because that was something that came out of the mouth that if we were honest, we've all felt in our heart before, where maybe we don't rejoice over someone's blessings because we wished we were the ones that were blessed. What does that require? Humility. Meaning this, they got the blessing, but that doesn't mean that I'm deserving of the same blessing in the same way. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We realize this, that God blesses as he desires, that God does what he does, and we just rejoice with those who rejoice. And by the way, we weep with those who weep. Isn't that what it says? Sometimes we don't weep with those that weep. Sometimes it's because we don't know what to say or we don't know how to feel. But yet the Bible says that if someone's rejoicing, we need to rejoice. And if they weep, we do weep. What does that mean? That we put our own needs to the side and our back stoops, and we say, what do you need? You need someone to rejoice with you? I'll rejoice. You need someone to weep with you? I'll weep. I'm going to put my needs off to the side and say, I'm going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to be a help to you. Verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. No, no, as a church, what do we need to do? We need to make sure that whoever it is that walks through these doors, that we are uh, going to help them, be a blessing to them, love on them, be sincere on them, whether they're of high estate or whether they aren't. It was a few years ago that we had a Veterans Sunday where we had some local dignitaries that have come. Some of you were here for that. We had uh, a, you know, a select board member that came, and I believe maybe another, maybe a couple of them from town. I know one of them spoke for certain. But we also had a homeless vet that came. And I remember, I believe it was Dan Woodward who was here at the time. He asked me for the address of where to pick this gentleman up. I said, there is no address. I said, this is where you need to go, and this is how far you go out into the field, and this is where you'll find his encampment. And what I was so blessed of that day is not only did that gentleman come, and he ended up, I believe it was a few weeks later, not that day that he got saved, but people treated the select board member and that other man the same way. You know what? That's what Christians are supposed to do. You know why? They both have souls. They both have needs. Oh, this, this man's high up in politics in Easton. Well, la-dee-da. That's 
That's yeah. That's the other way. That all yeah. You, it makes makes you think twice in a lot of ways. Uh, and here's a guy that has been living in the fields. That is not taking care of himself in the way of bringing himself to church that maybe most people normally would. But you know what? A stooping back says this. I'm going to serve them both. I'm going to serve them both because they both have needs. And I'm thankful that one day I'm going to get to meet that man in heaven again from coming here. And I believe part of the reason he continued to come here was because people treated him with love and dignity and respect as they should have. And it goes on and says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. How many of you wish verse 18 wasn't in the Bible? Well, I shouldn't have said that because some of you are lying in church, all right? Uh, there are days, aren't there? We wish verse 18 was not in the Bible. There are days we wish it wasn't in it. Let's just be honest with each other here tonight because we are not naturally peacemakers and there are times that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And instead of saying the Lord, we're saying ourselves, putting ourselves as supreme. I believe some Christians' favorite movie is The Avengers. Think about that for a second. They want to take a vengeance for themselves. But it says, as much as in you lie, live peaceably with all men. Now, does it say that you will be able to live peaceably with all men? Is that what that verse says? It does not. Because let's be honest, there are just some people that will not allow you to live peaceably with them. But you know what this verse makes clear? If it's not possible to live peaceably, it's because of them and not because of me. I'm going to say that again because this is important. If it's not possible to live peaceably with them, it's because of them and not because of me. Not because I was antagonistic. Not because I was not conciliatory. Not because I was not exhibiting the characteristics of the spirit that God wanted me to live. Well, I'll be soft. Well, I'll be a patsy. Well, I'll be, no, that's what the world wants you to think. No, no, I'm not talking about getting run over. I'm not talking about any of those types of things. I'm not talking about defending yourself or anything like that. I think you've been here long enough to understand that that's not what I mean by that. And certainly that's not what the word of God means by that. But I will say this, that so many times we are the instigators instead of the peacemakers. And what we are to be is the peacemaker as much as we are able. You say, well, I'm not able very much. Well, maybe you need the Holy Spirit to help you be more able. Because if there is an inflammation that comes with this difficulty, it should not be because of what we have done. It should be because of their inability to look at this situation with Holy Spirit leadership. Maybe because they're not saved. Maybe because they're backslidden. Who knows what it is, but it's not because we have inflamed the situation. It's right there. Verse 19, just very quickly. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give uh, place unto wrath. That word give place literally means step to the side. Give it a place, meaning put it to the side. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. And by the way, uh, Paul is giving a proverb here. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22 speak of the same. So that's an Old Testament and New Testament principle. And finally, it sums it all up by saying this, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see the word play there? Don't allow evil to overcome you, but rather by being good, you can overcome evil. Now, can we in every situation? Well, it says right here in verse number 18, as much as it lieth in you, meaning there's going to be times when it's not possible. 
but in that process, do not allow evil to overcome you. Meaning what? Have humility. Humility how we deal with one another. Humility how we deal with even those who are not saved. Very quickly, turn to Luke chapter 14, and we'll finish here. Luke chapter number 14. The sacrificial life is the life of a disciple. The sacrificial life is the life of someone truly who will follow Christ with all of their heart. Luke chapter number 14, we'll finish here in just a moment, verse number 25. It's not easy, but it is our reasonable service. Going back to verse number one, it's not easy, but it is our reasonable service to live in this way. But I would say this, when it comes to this life, before you say, oh, I can do that, count the cost realize what it will take to be able to do so. Now, the Lord will help you. He's given you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you can live, what was the series we just went over? You can live far beyond your capacity. The Holy Spirit inside of you will allow you to do far greater than you'd ever, ever be able to do on your own. But look at verse number 25. It says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, of course, this being Jesus, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, Yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, I heard a preacher say recently, churches are not filled with disciples today, but rather with consumers. It's a thought, isn't it? That a lot of people come in to be consumers instead of disciples. And boy, that sure is told to us here what the cost is of discipleship in verse 26. It says, verse 27, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to build it or to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, that all behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be uh, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be by disciple. Forsaking not all that you have, would we not equate that with being a living sacrifice? Because remember, being a living sacrifice means what? You're consumed. Just like a sacrifice is totally consumed by the fire in the Old Testament, that we are to be totally and utterly consumed in our pursuit of Christ, that we are to put all that away. But I will say this, we need to count the cost of what that means. I've watched with great humor, and I only say humor because I don't have to ride it myself, but I've watched with great humor the last few weeks of the Green Line extension that went out to Medford. So the Green Line, because of the big dig in the 90s, it was supposed to, 30 years ago, this Green Line extension was supposed to be built. And you know, you know, anyone can have a bad 30 years, right? And so finally, the MBTA got to building this Green Line extension, just opened a few months ago. But I saw just, I think it was two weeks ago, where they announced, by the way, when we were laying down the tracks, we happened to tie them together at the wrong width. And so we actually knew this, and you could look this up, and we actually knew this when we were laying it down near the end, but we just kind of had to keep doing it. And, but uh, now that this report is out, we're going to have to close this branch for a while and retie the entire three, four, five mile extension from start to finish. And people made fun of them as well they should. And you know why? Because billions of dollars were spent 
and it's still not right. And they knew they were building it wrong and kept building it until they finally got caught. You know what I worry? Maybe worry is not the right word. I concern myself with sometimes in my Christian life is that every day I'm laying down track. Every day I'm laying down track on my way to my eternal destination. Follow the illustration for a second. I would hate at some point to realize and look back and say, you know what? I've been laying this wrong. I've been living the wrong way for a long time. I've, I've not been sacrificial in how I've lived. I, I've not looked at things soberly. I have not served with all of my heart. You know, I've not had the stooping back that I need to have. I've, I've not been sincere in the way that I've lived. I've just laid down this track the wrong way. But, and this is what I've seen Christians do before. You know what, pastor, it may not be right, but this is just who I am. And this is just what I do. Pastor, I've been doing this for 30 years. I just, I mean, I'm not going to change now. I'm just going to keep laying down track. You know, you can lay it down the rest of your life. But eventually, there is a judgment seat of Christ. And those works will be tried. And the one who has the perfect measure, the one that can tell if the tracks have been laid right or not, it will not be up to you to determine whether it was okay to lay them that way. He is the one that will say, you did not lay them the right way. And because of that, wood, hay, and stubble will be burned in the fire. Because you were just laying down track, whether it was right or not. Well, this is just who I am as a believer. I don't ever want to get to the point where I've been so long in the faith that it's just I'll do what I do, however long that I do it. I'm not going to change anything. It's who I am. Let's put our life against Romans 12 and not just say we're a living sacrifice, but actually determine by the word of God whether we're being that living sacrifice he's called us to be or not. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.